1: Matthew chapter 6. Today we're going to be dealing with verses 9 through 15, and this passage is also in Luke chapter 11. But just as a way of review, you may remember last week when we talked about when you pray, we we dealt with the definition of prayer. Do you remember that? We said prayer is turning to God in communication, supplication, and worship. And then we said the text tells us about the frequency of prayer because he says when you pray. Letting us know that prayer is ongoing and it's a continual part of the believer's life. Prayer is not situational, nor is it optional. A Christian without a prayer life is like a car without gas, you're not going anywhere. And then we said the initiator of prayer, the text tells us, when you pray, when you pray, because prayer is personal, individual, and it's not transferable. We outsource a lot of things in this life, but you can't outsource your prayers. And then we said the method of prayer is we pray sincerely, we pray secretly, and we pray succinctly. Now, I do want to make one adjustment to something that we said last week um, last week we were talking about the importance of secret prayer going into your closet and I I said, you know, Pastor and I don't really pray together and um, one of my brothers, Brother Gene Ingram, reminded me of something and that was that we don't want to give the impression that husbands and wives should not pray together. As a matter of fact, through Man Cave, we encourage husbands to pray with their wives and vice versa. And so we, what I was trying to communicate was that in my household we don't share our devotional prayer we do pray together from time to time but for the most part uh, we pray when we pray devotionally we're praying in our secret place and there's nothing wrong with that because the Lord makes us one but there's some things I need to talk to God about that I don't need my husband to hear is that okay Jean that's all right you know, I'm just I'm just talking about me. There's just some things, you know, sometimes, I, y'all know I'm, I'm wonderful. Don't y'all know that? Yeah. Y'all know I'm wonderful. But once every five and a half years, I have a lapse. And I need God to correct me. And so, bro, I don't necessarily want to be sitting in front of the brother talking about, Lord, you remember what I said to him. You know it wasn't right. Because you know how you brothers do. Y'all will ride that pony for a couple of years. (laughs) Anywho. So in Matthew, after 5, 6, 7, and 8, then we notice that in verse 9, Jesus then says, In this manner, therefore pray. Now in most Bibles, both passages give the heading, The Model Prayer. Um, And you know that a model is a standard. It is uh, an example for imitation or for comparison. And when he says this, he says, In this manner therefore pray, I want us to understand it's not Jesus' intention that we recite this prayer. That's not what his intention is. But rather this prayer now serves as a model or a pattern for framing our prayers. So today, I want to very quickly kind of go through what we see as the five P's of this model for prayer. Is that all right? Now, how many of you got your King James on? You got your King James on? You feel it in your Shonda? Come on now. I need you to feel it in your Shonda. All right. So let's recite the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I'm going to teach it from I'm, I'm in a new King James version, but I'm going to teach for, with King James in mind because I know that's the one you know, right? So what does it say? Our Father, which art in heaven... Take it down from there. Don't, don't, don't help him with this. <laughs> Lord Jesus. Unsaved people know this. <laughs> Let's start again. Our Father... Which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now stop right there. I know the children say, Hollywood be thy name. (laughs) But it's hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Come on. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Somebody said forever and ever. I think that's the version that we sing. Within those verses, like I said, it was never Jesus' intention to say, all right, now get down on your knees and you just recite that and jump up and that's your prayer. No, but what we will notice is if you were reading that from a Bible, you would notice that every one of those phrases are a verse, starting in verse nine. And if we can today, what I want to do is just kind of show us those elements, if you will, that should be a part of our prayer life. Is that good for you? So the first one is, he starts out with praise. He says, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means sacred, consecrated, and name there is, it's a mark of individuality. I know nowadays we name our children based upon stuff that we like or, you know, Mercedes, LaQuisha, cuz that was the day you got filled with the holy ghost. <laughs> you know we come up with these names that don't necessarily have a tie to anything, but in both the in Old Testament particularly When people were named, their name meant something and it spoke of their character and their destiny. And so it also implies honor, authority, and character. And so he says, when you pray, say or begin to praise, begin to direct your attention to God, our Father. And I love the fact you notice he didn't say, our God. He says, because this is personal right here. This, this, I never called my daddy by his first name. Matter of fact, I was probably 15 before I knew what it was. <laughs> but it was personal. It was a very, it's a very personal thing. So he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed is your name. That is why God's name should never be attached to profanity. You're, ta- you're trying to connect holiness with evil, and they don't work together. So this is hallowed, sacred, consecrated is your honor, your authority, and your character. And beginning prayer with, um, with praise, what it does is it turns our focus away from ourselves and places it on God the more we praise him, the more he becomes magnified. I was thinking about this. Um, I was, I looked online and I was like, what exactly is magnification? I knew what it was, but I was like, what are some of the synonyms for magnification? And it says magnification is used to enlarge enhance, increase, and amplify. He says, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I need you to increase God in your thinking. I need you to amplify God in your thinking. I need you to magnify him because if you can see him for who he is, you're not making him any bigger now because God's already big. But what, what we are doing is he becomes larger in our eyes. Have you ever been in a situation or in a fight when you were young and you felt like you were by yourself and if you had an older sibling or you had somebody that you were friends with who was bigger and you were in the fight by yourself, you felt inadequate. But when your older sibling showed up, oh, all of a sudden you start talking junk. My help is here. The problem didn't didn't go away, but what happened was your strength became amplified. It became magnified because you knew I'm not in this by myself. My help is here. He says, my father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. No matter what's going on in my life, my help is here. I lift him up first. He says, praise praise him and then the second thing they say, it says is thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven the first one is praise we start our time of of prayer with praise but then we shift to priorities we shift to priorities now in priorities it says thy kingdom come Kingdom is royalty, rule, or realm. Here, this is easy as it gets. The kingdom is where the king has dominion. That's what it is. It's where the king has dominion. And we now turn our attention and we say, now that I have hallowed you, now that I have exalted you in my own eyes... uh, uh, what is that song? I have made you too small in my eyes, O Lord, forgive me. And I have believed in the lie that you were unable to help me. But now my eyes have seen. You know, Job said it like this. He said, I, I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear. But after he had gone through everything he went through, in the end he said, but now I see you for who you are. That's what praise does. And once we see him magnified like that, then we move to priority. We move to priority because then we say, your kingdom come. Every place that you have dominion, I want it to come in my life. And he says, and your will, now this one I ain't going to get no amens on already, no. And your will be done. Meaning your choices, your decisions. Come on, didn't Jesus say it in the garden? If there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the stronger our prayer life gets, the easier it becomes to submit our will to his will. See, when you know that somebody loves you, it's not as difficult to surrender your will over because you know they're going to do right by you. So he says, your kingdom come. And I love it because he says, your kingdom come and your will be done. I know we quote sometimes and some versions say on earth. The King James says in earth. The reason I like that is because sometimes I need to tell my earth. Kingdom, <laughs> kingdom of God Come. Will of the do- will of God be done? When, when in prayer, sometimes the first earth you gotta declare His kingdom coming to is this earth, this right here, this flesh right here, because this right here does not automatically want what God wants. Tap your neighbor and say, "Now she's talking about you." It says, "Thy kingdom come, and Thy will be done." In earth, and talks about in earth, in this realm, as it is in heaven. And Pastor said this earlier, and I thought this was so good. He said there is a nowness to that, and there's also a future to that. In the sense that we want the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, to come in our lives in every situation right now. But we also, when we're praying, we are reminding ourselves that there is coming a day when his eternal kingdom is coming. See, and when you think about that, it creates more urgency in our lives, not only for our own salvation, but for the salvation of our loved ones. If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, who would you snatch out of the fire today? And if you could think of a name today, why would you wait till tomorrow since you don't know when he's coming back? Say, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. Y'all scared now. <laughs> I can't get too many. <laughs> Deacon Brumell, I couldn't get too much buy-in just then. I think it was you and one other person. Can I tell you this? I have prayed this in my life myself personally and you got to be ready when you pray it now you do because you start praying lord your kingdom come and your will be done in my life and that's i pray that every morning god your kingdom come your will be done in my life today and i have prayed that and watched god snatch some people right out of my life some of them i liked i wanted to keep but God knew that his kingdom couldn't come if Bud stayed. Oh, you don't want to talk. Excuse me. Are we, was I supposed to do a nice Mother's Day message? <laughs> Elder Melinda, you should have told me. Because sometimes, sometimes God is waiting for us to pray his kingdom come, his will be done in our lives today so that he can snatch Bobo out of our lives. And we got to ask ourselves, do I want Bobo more than I want the will of God? Ooh, I'm doing my good teaching this morning. (laughs) I'm doing my good teaching this morning right now. So there's got to be praise, but then there's also got to be priority. Oh, listen to this Wearsby's expository outline in the New Testament, says this. He says, the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. And if we told the truth, most of us feel like my prayer life is for me to let God know all the stuff I want and all the stuff that I need. And generally, it's interesting that God, he starts here in this model because I don't know about you, but I find that once I start praising God and magnifying him and lifting him up and really then saying, you are my priority, your will is my priority, I, what I find is the stuff that I came in the prayer closet with really isn't that important now. Or even he gives me something even better. So he says, first there's got to be praise, and then there's got to be priorities. Are you still with me? Here's the third one. It says, give us for this week our weekly bread. No? Give us today and a storage. No, I'm reading the wrong one. Yeah, it says, give us this day our daily bread. So after praise and priorities, now he moves to provision. Isn't it interesting that he puts praise and priorities before provision? Because honestly, we don't always know what we need. We really don't know what we need. Uh, is there anybody else beside me in the room who is glad that God did not answer some of your prayers? <laughs> Somebody, listen, she said, yes. <laughs> there were things that I thought I wanted thought I needed that I laid before God and I'm so glad that he did not answer those prayers in the affirmative because it would have changed the very trajectory of my life and I believe the same is true for you. So he says, get, praise me, get, that gets you into my presence, that lifts me up in your eyesight. Then I want you to submit your will to me, and then now we can deal with provision. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread simply means our, uh, what is needful for sustenance, or day by day. And the best example of this, of course, is in Exodus 16. You remember in Exodus 16, the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. And as they're going through the wilderness, um, they get hungry. Well, actually, I'm not altogether sure they were hungry as much as they started having a flashback. Because they start talking about, you know, when we were back in Egypt... We had onions and leeks and all this other stuff. Isn't it amazing how you'd rather go back to bondage for something? Am I talking to myself? They're like, oh, yeah, back in, back in Egypt we had all this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, do you remember that you were in slavery? And even though you are walking through the wilderness on your way to deliverance, would you really prefer to turn back around for some onions? I could see if we were talking chocolate cake. <laughs> but onions and leeks. But they, keep, they go through all of this. They basically, they were complaining. And so then God says to Moses to tell the people that every day I'm going to provide... Meat and bread. Meat and bread. And every night, quail would come at night for dinner. And in the morning, dew would come. And the dew, they couldn't identify what it was. So they they called it manna, which means what is it? And he did that every day. But the interesting thing was, he provided for them every day... And told them, only get enough for today. Only get enough for today. When you're coming to the Sabbath, get enough for two days and no more. As long as they trusted God for their daily provision, everything was fine. But somebody got smart and said, I don't know, you know, the Joneses might get an extra quail and two pieces of manna. So what we're going to do is we're going to get a little extra. And the Bible says that when they got more than what they asked for, what they were supposed to get, it stank. It rotted and it stank. Now, I don't believe that God was so much... It wasn't like there was going to be a shortage of quail or manna. I believe that the underlying issue was he wanted to teach his people, can you trust me to take care of you today? This has nothing to do with my ability or, or how much you can amass, but do you believe that when tomorrow comes, I will have what you need? So he says, pray, give us this day. Because tomorrow you and I don't know what we're going to need. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Listen to this. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9 says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Fill me, I'm, I'm sorry, feed me with the bread of my daily need. Why? Lest I be full and deny thee. And say, "Who is Jehovah?" Or lest I be poor and steal and outrage the name of my God, He says, "Pray, God, give us, Father, give me my daily need." This is not just provision. When we think of provision, oftentimes we think of food and money, or food, money, and shelter. But He said, "Look, you don't need tomorrow's mercies today, because you don't know who you're going to encounter tomorrow." You don't need favor today that you're going to have to execute tomorrow. He says, no, today you need this. Tomorrow you're going to encounter some things that you don't have the ability to see. I already know what's in your future. And I refuse to waste favor today that that you're going to need three days from now. So we have to grow to the place where we can trust God and say, "Give me what I need right now." How many of you would tell the truth and say, "Most of the time, when you're worrying, you're worrying about something that didn't happen already"? I mean, listen, you you all might as well raise your hands. You know why? Because worry, we never worry about what already happened. We're not. We don't. You don't worry about what has already happened. You may fret about the consequences of what has already happened, but even with that, the consequences haven't shown up yet. Worry is rooted in a fear of what's going to happen. And because worry is sin, be anxious for nothing... Because of that, he says, we've got to get to the place where we learn how to pray. Give us this day. Tomorrow is going to take care of itself. I don't, you know, I, I decided I'm going to trust God on a daily basis because I discovered that worry give you wrinkles. Vain as it may be, I said, I'm going to be cute as long as I can. (laughs) Amen? Amen. You're spending all this money on a facelift when you just stop worrying. (laughs) So praying for daily provision demonstrates trust in the unlimited resources of God. So he says, first I need you to what? Praise. And then we are going to deal with priorities, priorities his will. And after priorities, provision. provision. Here's the fourth one. Pardon. Mhm. Didn't think that would go over well either. Look at your neighbor and say pardon. pardon. Somebody said, somebody said it's so Southern, pardon. Says, then it says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I want to be honest with you. I have been, I told pastor, I have I have been working on a message or a series of messages on forgiveness for a while now. There's some, and I just believe I'm just waiting for God to um, to identify the time that I can release those. But that is a real serious. Um, issue for believers and we can't deal with all of forgiveness today because really we're talking about prayer and those parts, those elements of prayer. And even if you are struggling with forgiveness, you and I can't exempt it from our prayer life. Are you hearing me? He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To forgive means to to take away, to send away the guilt, and even though it says debts, it's not talking about just what's owed, like monetarily, but it means what is under it means to be under obligation, or um, or under obligation for a moral fault. But isn't it interesting? He says in the Matthew passage, I love it. He says, "And forgive us our debts," and what's the next word? As, as, this is where we get messed up because that two little word literally means in the same manner, in the same manner that. So what you could be reading it is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our, um, and forgive us our debts in the same manner that we forgive our debtors. We say, God, I want you to forgive me like I forgive people that offend me. Yeah, that's rough. A debtor is a person that's indebted, a moral delinquent, a transgressor against God. Do you remember in Matthew 18, uh, Matthew chapter 18, don't turn there, but in Matthew Matthew chapter 18, there is what's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. Do you remember that story? where he owes his master money and he goes to his master the master says you need to you need to pay up and he says i don't have it have mercy on me cuz the master says i'm going to put you in jail i'm going to take your family and he says master please don't don't do that what i please if you just give me an opportunity i will pay you back and the the lord of the house allows him freedom and says you can go that same person encounters someone who owes him far less money. And I guess he's trying to get his uh, money together to pay his debt. And so he says to the guy, give me what you owe, pay me what you owe. And the guy says to him the same thing that he said. I'm so sorry, I don't have it. Don't put me in jail, just give me a little time. And he says, oh no, You and your family, throw them in the jail. And when the Lord of the house hears about it, he is enraged because the the favor that he extended to him was not extended to the person who owed him. Hear me when I say this. Many times when people do something to us, they hurt us, they wrong us in some way, we feel legitimately that we should be able to hold on to it. We feel legitimate. Yes, we do. We feel legitimized in holding on to it. And all I'm saying to us today is that God says, when you come to me in prayer, whether or not you want to talk about it, please understand that if you're holding somebody hostage in your heart, I'm not releasing you out of mine. The the forgiveness that you want from me, you get it when you give it to somebody else. I know that you all might think that because we pastor a church that we never run into anything like this, but I want you to understand that there have been some times when I wanted to write my resignation and go back to corporate because I I said, at least I know they're snakes. But just because it's church hurt doesn't give you the right to whole hurt. Because he doesn't say, forgive, forgive them if, the, if you got hurt in a place you expected it. He doesn't say that. He says, forgive us our debts, forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us. He puts no parameters around where it happens, how it happened. So, of course, we can't get into a whole long teaching on forgiveness, but the reality is a component of our prayer life has to include pardon. We have to pardon others, and we then have to be pardoned by God. As a matter of fact, Matthew 6 Uh, The same chapter, 14 and 15, says in the New King James Version, it says, "For If you forgive men their their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. But listen to it in the message. It says, In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance... Without also forgiving others, if you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. I'd like to say it like this: Forgiveness is like money. We all want to receive it, but we rarely want to give it. And I love it, Bishop Bishop uh, Clifford Fraser. The first time I heard him say it, he was here. And he said, holding unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. So when we're in this time of prayer, we've got to understand, yes, there's this time that I praise God. There is this time when I set my priorities by submitting my will to his will There's a time when I seek him for my provision, but there's also this time when I also extend and receive pardon. And here's the last one. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says, don't carry us into uh, temptation. Now, please hear me and hear me good because the Bible bears it out. God does not tempt anyone with evil. So that is not what this is saying. He's not saying, God, please don't lead me into evil. That word temptation there, it means a putting to proof by experiment, experience, or adversity. Do you remember? The Bible says that the the spirit... Uh, that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. The devil is the one who tempts with evil. God leads us into places or allows us into places so that we can test what's on the inside of us, and so that we can know that we can withstand certain things. So they're saying, but some of us, listen, the, when I read this, I was thinking, if I were like the disciples, I would be I would be thinking, you know what? I still want to pray it this way. Don't lead me into temptation. If I don't have to go into a wilderness to learn something, thank you so much. <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like that. I'm like, God, if... The, if Please keep my eyes open because if I can learn something another way, that's why I watch people because if you're going to fall, I'm going to pay attention to what you did to fall so that I can avoid falling. Now, there's some lessons that you might have to just go through a wilderness in. But as for me and me, I ain't even with me in my house. As for me and me, I'm trying to avoid as many (laughs) experiences as I possibly can but I trust that if I have to have that experience I know that he can keep me in the experience but he says lead us not into temptation but then he says and deliver us deliver us rescue us from evil and some translations say the evil one rescue us from anguish rescue us from that which is hurtful listen in effect and influence It means calamity, mischief, and malice. That I want you to rescue me from. Some things I can avoid, some temptations I can avoid on my own. But he says, but I also want to pray and ask him, deliver me from evil. Do you hear me? There is nothing that the enemy throws in your life that you can't be delivered from. And nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. The first step in deliverance is stop blaming the devil. You're tipping in something you like. Own it, and he can pull you out of it. Yeah, that's good preaching right there. Go ahead and own it, and he can deliver you out of it. But we can't be rescued from what we're dancing with. So he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. John 17 and 15 says, I do not pray. John, uh, Jesus was praying, and he said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one that is why when difficulty comes in our lives we've got to be mature enough not to think if God really loved me then why did this happen to me because we live in a fallen world and fallen things happen in a fallen world who's governed by a fallen being being satan yeah somebody said holy ghost yeah So that you can't, don't blame God for what happens in this world. We're in this world, but we're not of the world. And He can rescue us from evil, but we have to control tiptoeing with temptation. And then, of course, when we quoted it, do you remember? One more time. Our, come on, our Father. Which art in heaven, come on, we do doing King James, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now that last phrase, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, is in, I think it's in Matthew. Yeah, it's in the Matthew passage, I believe. I don't think it's in the Luke passage. It is. It's in Matthew. It's not in the Luke passage because it's not in the original manuscript. But I like the fact that it's in Matthew because what I say is, and then after I go through all of that, I go back to praise. Go right back to where I started. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Somebody said, and the power do lie in the glory. Yes. So I just, even though it wasn't in the original manuscript, when I think about this, now it takes me right back. It circles me so that my prayers begin with the greatness of God and they end with the greatness of God. I got this from Pastor this morning, and I thought it was awesome, so I'm going to stop with this. A.C. Dixon said, When we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon man, we get what man can do. But when we rely upon prayer... We get what God can do. Amen? Amen. Let's thank Him for the Word.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information on other products and materials, please contact us at 770-484-9300, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., or visit our website at www.newcove.org. If you're in the Atlanta area, we invite you to join us for one of our dynamic services. Once again, thank you for receiving the living Word of God from New Covenant Christian Ministries, where we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ.